And we are live. GM, GM, hello. everyone. Hello, hello, GM, GA, BT, BJ, if you're in France. Shout out to all my French BJs. How's it going, guys? How's everybody doing? What's that, Sam? I'm excited to be here. Cool. This is this is going to be a proper show, isn't it? We've got two, we've we've got a baying audience. We've got two metaverse veterans, and we're going to ask the existential question. We're going to ask: Does the metaverse make sense? Is it a pipe dream? Is it all BS? Is this just reconstituted video games? What does it mean? How, Sam, for you, have you managed to build two hundred separate metaverse platforms and come out the other end? And still, everybody doesn't realize that this is something that's for real, that brands and companies and organizations are valuing. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to hear more, to get your guys' take on what works, what doesn't work, who's building, who's, who's, who's still playing games, who's, who's still using Metaverse for hype and, and not really building or helping to make something that's more, more useful to, to human, humans and humankind. And hopefully, we get some spicy questions at the end. <laughs> that's a hell of agenda eh? this first first show of the year super stoked to be back and uh you know we couldn't start better than than bringing sam the man himself the largest land boy's largest uh, uh builder in the metaverse obviously we're gonna let sam introduce himself and his company right now but i think yeah, we thanks. couldn't have a better start sam over to you thank you for having me guys i'm excited um <clears throat> Yeah, I'm, I'm the founder of a, a, and CEO of a company called LandVault. We basically have a full end-to-end -end solution for brands or IP or really anyone who wants to enter the metaverse, focusing on, on the Web3, you know, blockchain-driven blockchain metaverse. We, we help with everything from A to Z, from land. Um, you know, we can find land for you, we can rent it. Obviously, developing the experience from scratch. We've done, as you said, about 200 projects from big brands like Mastercard or uh, Heineken, L'Oreal, um, you know, Red Bull and others, um, all the way down to much smaller projects as well. And then the real differentiator is we also build our own technology that we then insert within the build to monetize the experience or measure success. So one of them is analytics, for example. We have a uh, Google Analytics, you know, equivalent for the metaverse where you can measure how many people are there, what are they doing, uh, what time of the day are they coming, are they identified by a wallet, yes or no. So you, you get a sense of actually measuring success. Uh, another tool is a monetization tool to integrate product placement from brands so you can monetize. So we're trying to build the, the long-term vision is to have this one-stop shop, you know, platform to help anyone enter the metaverse and, and monetize those experiences. And uh, yeah, we've, uh, we, we have close to 180 people in the company. Um, the, you know, the, the story of LandVault started in 2021. I used to run a gaming company before that was helping brands enter games. And we basically uh, merged with LandVault uh, last, last year to, uh, to become a Web3 company. So that's the, that's the journey so far. And super excited about this year and what's to come. Nice, Sam. And so you're uniquely positioned to answer the question like, you know, is the metaverse just re repackaged video games? Or what's the difference? More importantly, I will ask this question later, but I'd love your take on what's the difference between a video game and a metaverse platform. Um, but before yeah. we get into that, let's let's start a level up. Yeah, I was about to answer. I'd, I'd love to get I'd love to get your guys take on your definitions of what is the metaverse. We've had the original terminology cited in Snow Crash 1992. We had Meta you know, become a thing from Facebook to Meta in 2020, I think it was, or whenever, a couple of years ago. We've had various different um, paths down the kind of social consciousness of Metaverse. And now we have companies that are entirely focused on building in this space or this industry or whatever we care to call it. Let's start with you, Sam and Diego. I know I've, I've heard you talk about the Metaverse plenty of times, but I'd love your build afterwards. Sam, how do you define the Metaverse? The simplest definition that I have is uh, 3D internet. So, you know, the, what you said at the beginning is the meta, people think the metaverse is just a game. Actually, we, you know, I think we as collectively as an industry, we, we made it sometimes a lot more complex than what it actually is. Of course, there's a promise and all of that. But the way that I see it is, you know, it's, it's almost like the democratization of gaming technologies that can now be used 
for something beyond games. So you can, you can create a game with a, a game engine like Unity, but you can also create an experience for a brand to sell their product or to replicate the fashion week or to create a virtual concert. So this is the, the expansion of gaming technologies. Uh, uh, games were just uh, almost like a launch pad for those technologies that will now be able to be applied to a much bigger use case than just gaming, which is already massive. There's 3 billion people playing games, but now we're talking about use cases that literally are more like the internet. So it could be, you know, literally everything. So that's our definition. Two really, really good things to take away from that. 3D internet, I like that because it doesn't necessarily specify Web3, it doesn't specify tokens, but it does talk about connectivity or interconnectivity, which I think is important. Um, and then you talked about, you know, democratization of video game tech. It's saying we like games because they are immersive, because they are interactive, because they're fun, because they're colorful, because they're expressive. Why can't work be like that? Or why can't meetings be like that? Or why can't town halls be more like right. that? Well, just our online life, right? And and, and a follow-up question before I go to Diego. Is there one metaverse? Are there many metaverses? Do you build lots of metaverses? How do, how do, you, how do you think about the concept or the term? Um, the way we think about it is, again, you know, following my definition or our definition of, of metaverse being a, a 3D internet, um, there is one metaverse and multiple platforms. Um, so, you know, the sandbox would be one platform. And then within the platform, you build experiences on top of land in the platform. That's kind of our definition. You know, I'm not a, a purist. I know some people use metaverses. Um, I'm not going to you know, leave the call if, if that happens, I don't, <laughs> as long as the, the definition is consistent, you know, and we understand each other, that's, uh, that's fine for me, but that's yeah. it. We, we need a common language and hearing people saying I'm building a metaverse is a little bit like, I mean, if you flip it, it's like saying people saying I'm building an internet, mm -hmm. or I'm going to go over yep. here and build, build my own internet. I mean, intranet, actually that one works, but internet maybe maybe more challenging. Diego, you've been very quiet for a while now. Anything to build on top of Sam's definition or anything you particularly liked in what he said about how we should be thinking or talking to others about the metaverse? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I obviously, you know, Sam and I gem a lot around those concepts and I've learned a lot from from his obviously experience within, within gaming before. And uh, I changed my mind several times depending on the conversations we've had as well because, you know, that's that's what this is about. So it's, it's exciting to to hear his point of view specifically on that. I. I agree with everything he's saying. What I would build on top is, uh, you know, for me, the definition I'm, I'm, I'm taking away as well is that we need to look at the, the metaverse as the evolution, in, uh, is the evolution of how the interface of the internet develops, right? So if you think about that, we, the three of us are old enough to have been through that, we started communicating digitally through text, right? right? Like chat rooms and all of that. That was the first sort of like way that we uh, connected and, and communicated with each other digitally as humans online. Uh, and then from there, we went to video calls, right? We went to video calls, video and audio. What we are having right now, it is an evolution from that initial uh, interface, which was text only. And now for me, the metaverse brings a third evolution of that, which is now we go into virtual worlds and avatars. Right. And those virtual words as an evolution of the interface on how we connect and communicate and engage as humans digitally is pretty much that evolution will be about games. Yes. Will be about work. Yes. Will be about concerts. Yes. Will this live stream, you know, a couple of years from now, or even now, which is already possible be within a metaverse platform where we three are represented by avatars and maybe, you know, I'm a dragon, you are, uh, you know, like a squirrel and, and Sam is a toaster because that's how he identified himself virtually. Like that is happening and will happen, right? So how do we look into that from, from the business lenses of it, which is the sort of like the, the angle that especially Sam and I are, are in when it comes to big brands and so on. For me, the real value added here is that now brands have a new medium to tell stories, to connect with customers, and to provide experiences in a manner that wasn't possible before, right? So that's why I'm so excited about this new evolution, because it's an evolution of the interface on how we connect digitally as a species. Love that. And I, I love that also I now know that you see me as a squirrel. <laughs> it's always been man you know the meme right the gun in the back always has been <laughs> always has been always have been a squirrel um sam sam for you so what does the metaverse change 
right? What does, what, is, what does this allow us to do differently? Or what are the things that you're most excited about that having a 3D internet that is more pervasive in our daily lives brings or improves? I think there's two, two main things. Um, one of them is, is that immersion, which is not just a, you know, a nice thing, but can actually help deliver on, on some KPIs, right? So if you, if you are, if you're a company that is selling online right now, um, you know, depending on what you're selling, if your product is, is fairly experiential, so it could be, uh, holidays or, you know, or even it could be clothes or a car or something that you're not just going to buy as a commodity, then having a, a more immersive experience to convey the story around the product and, um, and, you know, what it represents and what it feels like to own it is going to generate better results. So purely from a, from a business perspective, you know, they are, that's been proven multiple times using, you know, VR and, and other type of immersive medium that you can, you can convert better. So that's purely on the, on the business angle, you know, this is going to be a tool that, that businesses and brands can use and are already using to reach better results. Um, and then the second component, which is more for the, for the end users is obviously the blockchain component, right? The metaverse is the, the convergence between the gaming technologies and the blockchain, the way that we see it, you merge the two together. That's basically the metaverse and that at a high level guarantees the, the, um, ownership of digital goods or digital items. Um, and we've talked about that many times it's powered by NFTs, but this is the idea that, you know, you can basically, if you, if you design something or if you buy something, you can basically retrieve that item to your wallet, which is independent from the platform. You can use it in other places, you can trade it. So it's, um, that's what really the blockchain provides. It's this kind of registry of, uh, of, of digital assets. I think that's, that's the important part. And let's, let's maybe unpack that a little bit, because what we're adding as capability is decentralization. We're saying that whereas in web two or in the existing internet that we know today, your content is going to be held on servers that are owned and managed by companies, by platform owners, by Meta, by LinkedIn, by Fortnite, by Blizzard, whoever it is that has your content. And if they shut the servers off, then that's, that's there. If a an open source software developer wants to build with a particular avatar, a particular NFT asset today, they can do that in an open way. When you have a game in a closed environment, you can't. And so the ability for your assets to exist in more places, to be interchangeable and usable in more places for innovation and creativity amongst the developer community to, to flourish, that works more seamlessly if it doesn't involve bilateral negotiation or if it doesn't involve signing a contract with a game company, right? Where it's open, decentralized and interoperable, you can do more in that internet than you can with what we have today. Is that, is that a fair, is that a fair build or a fair summary? I think that's, that's kind of a, you know, a long-term vision, right? Because right now, you know, if you, if you dig deep enough, you look at platforms like Sandbox, for example, and others, they are, they are still hosted on, on AWS and traditional platforms. So there is, there's always a point of centralization somewhere. Um, but there are more decentralization on the, on the interface. So, you know, for example, you have the concept of, of land and everyone can own land. And if you own land, you can own the business model on top of the land and you can trade land, make money with it. There's an element of risk because it's an investment, but you have a bigger upside that in, that in web two. So for me, it's not really about the decentralization is important, but for me, it's more of a matter of upside, you know, mm -hmm. between web two and web three. Like if I, if I'm a user of Roblox and Roblox does really well, unless I'm a, I'm a, uh, you know, I own stock, I don't profit from, from that growth. I'm a user of Facebook. Facebook went from a couple billion dollars in market cap to, you know, to 400 billion or whatever it is worth now as a user, I didn't benefit from that, but so, so you don't really have an upside on the platform unless you're a sophisticated investor, you can own stock, but that's, that's how a lot of barriers to entry. Whereas in the metaverse, you can own assets, you can own land, you can own the, 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 the currency, you know, of the, of the platform. And if the platform do well, you do well as well. If the platform doesn't do well, everything can go to zero. So there's also a, a bigger risk, but there's also a bigger upside. So that's the way that I'm looking at it. It's an internet with more upside where the users become also the stakeholders and, and shareholders of the platform.
An, in an internet with upside. I like that one. Although I'm, I'm going to change hats now and I'm going to come in as the, the, the angry boomers on the platform listening in because I can, I, can, I can feel the fume coming in with everything you've just said insofar as we're, we're financializing everything. You know, you said it's, it's, it's already probably easy enough to create a, um, a Robinhood account and go and buy some Facebook stock. Why do I have, why does all the stuff that I have in my day-to-day -day have to be assetized, financialized? Are we perpetuating the absentee landlord issue that we have in Metaverse today where everybody buys land because they think it's going to go up as opposed to staking their time, staking their interest in something, allowing that just to improve the way that they live their lives? Is there a risk that, we, that, that, that because of digital assets, people coming into these platforms say, well, that's that's just about speculation this is this is bitcoin but worse because now my favorite applications or my favorite games now have built this element of of speculation on top of it and that makes it less attractive to me or is, or is more scary yeah i mean but that that speculation and that build-up will only you know it will it will all fall down if eventually there is no actual users right so that that can only last so long um, you know, investors buying land because they think it's going to go up. There's a moment where it will either go up or it or go down. And um, there's a moment where we will come back to fundamentals, right? Speculation is one driver of value, but utility, what you can do with it, the reality underneath all this hype is also important. So, um, you know, if, if we want this to continue, um, there will need to be some kind of tangible value that is being, that is being created, not the the value cannot just be driven by, by, by speculation. So I think we've already started to see that. And now we have utility that becomes a slightly bigger driver of value. And there's a point where utility will drive you know, most of the value. For sure. And Diego, I want you to come in on this one, because I think the more we talk about the metaverse in the terms of land and NFTs, the more people are going to perpetuate the story that this is speculative, that there's no utility here. It's just we're, cre we're creating false digital scarcity for people to spend money on so that platforms can raise capital to then maybe build some utility later, as opposed to starting out with an idea or a problem to solve or a domain in which an enhanced 3D internet experience will benefit B2B, B2C, B2G, whichever you want. I mean, Diego, how do we get past the absentee landlord, um, dead platforms, no users? You know, how, how do we build meaningful experiences or meaningful applications? Yeah, I think... You know, and that's that's one of the conversations I, I had some back and forth already with Simon. Because my initial take when I I got into the space when it comes to land, I was like, this makes no sense, right? Land makes sense in the physical world because it's scarce, right? Like there is just a certain amount of land on planet Earth that's physics, that's clear, right? But digitally. It's going to depend on the amount of data storage you have. And the more data storage you have, which you can multiply, the more land you can have. And that can be infinite almost, right? Or maybe will be. So why are we making something scarce that isn't necessarily scarce, right? That That's kind of like the initial question that I had. And and, and that's where I mentioned, you know, that I had a couple conversations with Sam, which is kind of like, I don't get it. Like, what is the point? Does it make sense? And, you know, like, why, why are we doing that? And this is a new Ponzi that we've built and it's going to die as well. Like, you know, so looking, looking from, from, from different angles, you know, uh, and I think that Sam, you can build on it because obviously that's your point of view and, and, and how sort of like you educate me through it, but you got to think about the first page of Google, the first stand, the first stand that are, you know, shown at Google, right? Like, that's the way that you will position yourself and be able to add value to 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 you know to that specific land or generate traffic because and you know because you will manage to rank higher and that mechanics of ranking higher is gonna come or it could come because it's not there yet but I think that will be a good strategy is that it's gonna depend on how much access how much traffic how much content what is the quality of the content? What is the engagement that's having within it? And then the value around that, you know, first or second uh, top tier Google example will define its neighborhood value, right? It will define, oh, why do I want to be close to Snoop Dogg at Sandbox rather than being close to, you know, I don't know, like, uh, you know, Binance or whatever, right? Like you will have those choices because maybe, you know, I dig Snoop stuff and I want to be around him and his community. And once people are at Snoop's, you know, uh, land, they will stop by mine, right? So I think that that value will be 
built by the quality of the content that and quality of the experience of the specific lens that are doing the best job and that will sort of like have a have a ripple effect around i think that why that being scarce is an interesting value proposition more than just a speculation i think is a valid business model as well right because as soon as you take scarcity and you make okay we're going to have an infinite amount of land everybody can come in we can do whatever and this thing is going to keep growing it's going to be impossible one to navigate as a user to what is going to be the business that is going to end up being the best business for the company to scale we go back to Web2, we're going to start like lucrating those, those users. We're going to start extracting data from them and selling that to third parties because that's how we make money in Web3. If the product is for free, you are the product, right? So I feel that land sort of like helps within that equation. Sandbox has been so far successful on, 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 on raising capital around that and utilizing that as one of their main revenue drivers and there are obviously building several different business streams within it but that has been their core business stream right which has made it possible for them to keep building the platform and advancing and enhancing the the experience so i think that at this stage we are so far and with the mentality we have been exploring these spaces that's still a very strong motive on why we should be having uh, you know a limited supply of land within certain platforms I like that. That's a, that's a good explanation. And I love, I love the kind of juxtaposition of, do I want to live next door to CZ or do I want to live next door to Snoop? Right. You know, if, if, if I'm hanging out in a virtual space and I'm trying to concentrate on doing my work, you know, do I, do I want, you know, the activities that Snoop participates in over here happening and, and, and am I excited by the concept of that? Or do I want to go over here and, you know, be next to CZ or do I want to go and have, you know, JP Morgan's tiger rolling around outside my backyard, <laughs> you know, at, you know, where you live, which neighborhood you live in, what the Vista is like, what your, you know, what your neighbors do, what neighborhood you live in, et cetera. In the, re in the physical world, I want to say the real, I said the real world for a minute. I didn't mean that in the physical world, that's a real problem as well. And valuations on how much you have to pay for access to, or living next door to, or being in the neighborhood of, people, nature, amenities, et cetera. It's still a thing. So I can understand that there will be some trade-offs and some value in, in different things. Um, and again, but that's you interesting it in because it, it was just to, to interrupt there. It, it was, you know, if you look at the map, we've done some analysis on the, on the floor price of land in sandbox. And if you look at the map, you can literally have those kind of concentric circles of value in the center the Snoop Dogg area, the Steve Aoki area is where on average, the land is more expensive. And then you have another, you know, another circle, which is slightly cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. This was not engineered by the sandbox. Mm. It was, it was done completely organically by Snoop Dogg going there and therefore Steve Aoki going there and therefore everyone coming there, like just the, the network effects, right? The exact mm. same way that neighborhood form in the real world where, you know, you have um, I don't know, you have a, a luxury brand that, that rents something. And so the others thinks, oh, they already have an audience, you know, footfall, I'm going to go next to them. And then you have three and then four. And then from that point, everyone and would go that there. cluster because, effect perpetuating. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. then imagine so, Snoop Dogg sells up and suddenly Donald Trump moves in next door. And you're like, ooh, I'm not sure if I want to live here anymore. And, and again, again, get, the, mar the market, the market. Neighborhoods could fall apart. That happens in yeah. the real world as well. And uh, it's the same also, you know, we had these streets in London where uh, there were a lot of foreign investment coming in and, and people just buying flats, but not living there. So we had all this like ghost, ghost um, neighbors, neighborhoods. And eventually the price falls, right? Because there's no activity and that's, that can happen in the virtual world as well. So there's a lot of analogies that you can drive between, you know, the, even though of course the distance matters less in a virtual world, cause you can just always click to go from A to A to Z, but the non tangible metrics, um, you know, the status symbol, the, the idea that you want to be in the right neighborhood and all of these non tangible motivations are the same in the, in the virtual world, which is really interesting. Nice. Um, do you Anthony, think real quick so, let me yeah, let it. me bring something something new to to something we never done before and i think it could be exciting let's 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 rank this meme <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. let's go there meme review <laughs> i love it meme review uh sam i think like this happens all the time right i've seen this in the comments as i'm pulling it up uh you know like people literally saying that Web3 is the metaverse and the metaverse is Web3. They are the same. I'm explaining the meme. Sorry for that. But what are your thoughts? 
Is Web3 the metaverse? No, no, uh, definitely not. I think, you know, this, this are, these are different things. I mean, the, the metaverse, as I said, it, to, to me, it's a, it's a 3d, um, you know, 3d, 3d internet. Um, and, uh, and there is a component of the metaverse that could very much be web two, you know, Roblox, Fortnite, they are platforms within a, within a broader metaverse, um, whereas sandbox and Decentraland also. So, um, uh, yeah, these are, these are not, you know, the same thing. I rate this meme because it forces people to start sharing their opinions. And that's a dangerous thing sometimes, depending on what platform you're on. If you're in LinkedIn, generally you, you're, you're safe most of the time until Pro Professor Bob weighs in. But for the most part, we're, we're okay with this because I think this starts stretching people's imagination and then can we find a common language? I think th there are Venn diagrams in Web3 alone that I've posted a few times, right? There's a Venn diagram, which is Web3, which is the broader industry that represents the decentralization of the internet. Then there's blockchains, right? And then within blockchains, there are cryptocurrencies. And you can have a block, you can have web three as a concept without blockchains. You can have blockchains without cryptocurrency and you can have cryptocurrency without, or you can have a digital currency making use of cryptography without blockchains. And I think the same story is true of the metaverse, right? I think the metaverse probably sits around the outside of all of those three. Whereas you, like you said, Sam, you can have web two propositions that exist in the metaverse and that don't employ decentralization necessarily, but can still be of value. Um, good meme, good meme, thoughtful good meme. meme, provocative meme. Mm. Do you have more? Or is this just gonna become more a regular memes. segment on the show? <laughs> more <laughs> can, I, can I get a more memes in the chat, please, everybody? <laughs> if, if you want more memes, ask for more memes, please. Also guys, as, as, you're, as you're dialing in, as you're listening to this, please let us know where you're coming in from. It's super interesting and useful to us to know where, where you are in the world, which which of our audience has stayed up late for this who's getting up early you know a little bit of a center of gravity of who's listening in so we'd really love your your gms or whatever you guys write this whatever part of the world you're in and uh and also where you're coming from It'd be really great and should we start getting some questions let's do it let's do about, it about do you have some already right? do we need to give uh, a shout out i do i do i do i do i do um i have one while we're waiting for them okay Sam, go for in, it in in, in Let's say five years time. Do you think everybody in the world will have some form of metaverse land? Is, is it going to be ubiquitous? No. Is, does everybody have metaverse land at some point? No, I don't. Uh, for me, I don't think so. I think um, not everybody owns a house. Um, you know, it's the same. It's the same concept. I think. I think that um, land. First of all, not all the platform will have land. Mm -hmm. Like land is a is a concept that works for a certain platform. I'm not trying to say that every metaverse needs to have land. There are other platforms that do not. This is just, it's just a different way for platforms to monetize, right? Um, if we can, yeah, just going back to that, if let's take the sandbox as an example, you know, if they were not selling land, how do you think they will make money? They would probably have to take 50% of all the activity of all the sales um, that are, that are being created, or they will have an advertising model or something. So, you know, that's a, that's a web three native business model that they found to pre-sell the land so that after that, once you own the land, you own the economics on top of it. Anyway, putting that aside, I think on those platforms that are going to, you know, grow, if they grow, um, land is quickly going to become unaffordable for the average, um, for the average person. And, and actually a lot of funds are going to be, you know, coming in and, and basically treating that as a new, new asset class. We are already, you know, bringing on some real estate investors small amounts for now, not billions and billions of dollars, but if this grows, this is an asset that they would be looking at. So I think, oh, you know, it's going to be quickly be, difficult. Is this going to just be an, another domain or another paradigm in which for capitalism to make things unfair again, or for, for VCs just to, to wreck everybody else? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. But you know, when there's, there's finance involved, there's gains involved, that's kind of how things go right so that's um this is something that we need to make sure doesn't 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 happen but we already see the the way that you know you have a bunch of huge landowners out there that it's not evenly distributed so some people have been buying a lot and very early and um and i think we're going to see more consolidation there 
And at the same time, we can we will still or may well see metaverses that aren't as scarce or aren't as limited or where land is free and available to all, et cetera, et cetera. We have the technology. Um, second bonus question before we go to the public ones. With the advent of avatars and chat GPT, do you think metaverse real estate agents will be less obnoxious and scammy than real world ones? <laughs> Good question. Um, no, but I think generally this is, you know, there will be new jobs like that. Uh, that would be created in the metaverse, just like the internet has created jobs that didn't exist before. You will have, you know, event managers. We actually have a few people at Landvolt internally that help run events. When we do, you know, the fashion week, for example, or we did a, a corporate event for MasterCard, you need someone in there to actually help manage the events. So we have event managers that are real people, but in the, in the metaverse and, you know, property developers or people showing you around that's that's going to be maybe not a full-time job, but certainly a gig that you can you can take on to make a few extra bucks. Moderators, security, right? If it gets a little hectic in the event, you know you may need to to have a few people kind of be shown the door virtually for, mm. for getting a little bit close to whoever they yeah. shouldn't be too, right. getting too close to. Diego, so, I'll, I'll start with one um, must acknowledge. So there's a question on the on the on the on the line asking if this is being a paid webcast and if so, by who? Millions. I wish. Millions I wish. Thank you, by the way, for the payment, guys. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're asking if you are getting paid or I'm getting paid, but I, I wish. <laughs> no one's getting paid. Now, yeah. full disclosure, I obviously work with Landvault. It's, it's clearly stated on my LinkedIn. I'm an advisor for, for Landvault. We work together in several different things, uh, but there is absolutely no relationship with it, right? I, I bring, and, and Anthony does the same. We bring people here that we feel there is value for the community. We are here investing our time to give value to the community. Uh, unless things change in the future, we'll be extremely blunt and clear about it through a sponsor logo or anything, but we will not bring anyone here that is paying us to be shown. We're going to bring people that we are interested in talking to that we can learn from and we can jazz around because all we, Anthony and I care about at the end of the day is learning from smarter people. And that's why we run the show. So I just want to acknowledge very, very important people out there smarter than us. Oh so yeah. Very like... many. <laughs> I'm a chimp. <laughs> I'm a squirrel. Okay, we got the next one. Uh, I th which one? That was quite a cool one here. Uh, that's one. That's a good one. I like it. Uh, Sam, tell us something about some cool experience which you have created and which was the coolest brand. Top three. Now, you're you're spot. To, now you have to show coolest brands and your um, clients. Like, who is your yeah, favorite, no. favorite children, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I think one thing that was exciting to reframe the question a little bit is that we've actually created really cool experiences for brands that you might not think were that cool in the first place. Uh, and that's, I think, one of the powers of, of this media is so immersive that, you know, it's it's actually quite easy to, to make something fun and engaging, even though um, the brand might not be the most, you know, hip brand at the moment. So just taking an example uh, without naming, but we had a, a food processing company, um, which, which is just selling basically like packaged food in supermarkets, not the most exciting like brand that people would be passionate about. We created an experience that was all about sustainability, how the products were made. It was very educational and so on. And, uh, and we had on average, you know, 29 minute session times and the brand was shocked they've never seen anything like it you know it's not something that you can get through like a, a an image or a video or any other type of try getting 29 minutes on any social platform try getting 29 seconds of people's attention on any social platform right that's, am yeah. that's amazing that's yeah, really, yeah. So, really interesting so that's you know that's that's an interesting one um i mean the i think the the mastercard experience you know was um also a great example that was one of our early projects and this was all about LGBT, you know, pride, MasterCard sponsors, pride in the real world in New York. And they wanted to bring that event to the metaverse as well. Uh, and there was programming as well. So every week there was a different event, influencers, live art shows, entertainment, and that drove traffic every single time. Um, you know, so that's, that, that was a great learning for me and, uh, and it kind of reframe my perception of the metaverse as uh, I like to think of it as a stadium and I explain why, you know, a stadium is, is, is basically empty most of the time. If you take a snapshot of how many people are in the stadium right now, it's 
probably empty unless there is an event, there is a game, there is a concert, but these are only, you know, maybe a few hours a week. Um, and after the event, you know, people go back home. They don't leave in the stadium. That's pretty much what the metaverse is today. You know, if you take a snapshot of how many people are in Decentraland right now, probably not many because there's nothing to do, but there are events sometimes like the fashion week or the MasterCard event, and that drives thousands and thousands of people. When the event is gone, people go back. There will be a time where there will be enough things to do, so you can just jump from event to event, and you know you basically stay in the world for longer periods of time. But right now, it's it's very event driven. So um, I want a little bit of peace here, but you know when when people say there's no one in the metaverse, you you should look at specific moments where something's happening. Of course, if nothing's happening, no one's going to be there. Next one, XR means. That's for me, uh, extended, uh, is that what it is? Extended reality. I mean, it's basically VR and AR put together. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, immersive, immersive technologies. I so often see AR slash VR written in people's in the same way you see machine learning slash artificial intelligence written. And it's like, it, it bugs me so much. If I, if I worked in AR, and I was constantly being confused with VR. Or if I worked in VR and I was constantly being said, well, what you do is AR, right? Like, no, no, the two things are materially different. And it, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad if we're using XR as a way to represent those two similar, but also distinctly different domains, good news. That, that's, that's a learning yeah. for me. I, I wasn't calling it that until now. We had, we had MR at some point, mixed reality, which was, um, which was the Microsoft you know, language around the HoloLens. But I think the industry now settled on, on XR for extended reality, so. That'll work. Next one, where do you think Metaverse experience best fit a buyer's overall journey? Really good question. Ooh, I like that one. Good question, Martin. Um, well, I think that's, and that's, that's the interesting thing about the Metaverse specifically is that it could be at every level of the funnel. Um, I think we don't, we probably don't have enough data to, to see on average, you know, is it better to, to create awareness or conversion, but we know that both are working and or that's customer pretty service unique. for that matter as yeah, well, right? Post purchase exactly, yeah. could be huge. Yeah. The whole, the whole journey. And that, that's actually really unique. If you, if you look at channels like TV, for example, amazing for awareness, terrible to convert. If you look at Facebook amazing to convert, terrible to build a brand. If you stop paying for ads, you disappear. So it's very rare that channels actually enable brands to do, to take care of the whole, you know, funnel from awareness to consideration to purchase. In the metaverse, you really can. You have to tailor your, your content differently. So if we do an, an experience for the, the food processing company, which was all about awareness, we tailor the, the experience to do that. If you want to convert someone like in the fashion week, then you have the shops and you, you drive your, your audience, you know, through a, through a journey so that they convert, but, but you can do both. You have the tools to do both. And I think that's, that's, what's really exciting for brands, because um, if you think about, you know, data as well, if you can keep your users in the same experience from the moment they hear about your brand to the moment they buy, you don't need to send them across between, you know, Facebook to your website, to your conversion, to track, tracking, you know, with the pixel or the IDFA on the phone to know that it's the same customer. All the data abuse and so on um, really stem from the fact that there's so many different platforms and we had to figure out a way to track the same user across those different platforms. So we created this unique ID to track users and so on. If you have the user from A to Z in your experience, you don't need all of that stuff. So I think that, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a utopia, but if it works this way, then you, we can really, you know, streamline the whole funnel. It's exciting on that from a, from a tracking perspective, that what you can do with web two and web three tools together. There is of course the watch out that I think some people haven't seen coming is that the second you connect your wallet, your web three wallet to a web two experience or to a metaverse experience, whoever sees your wallet sees the transactions related to your wallet and sees the interactions of that wallet with other wallets in the same ways people can look at, you know, your, your friendship groups on Facebook and infer information from that. The issue with a web three wallet is that typically you have, or oftentimes have financial holdings there or financial transactions there, which you don't yep. necessarily see in the web two world. And a word of caution to everybody as they think about the metaverse wallets and web three, which wallets are you going to show to who and where? Hmm. 
Yep. Next question. How are brands thinking about tying to value or ROI for metaverse investments? Really good question, Zach. Yeah, great question. Um, so that was a question that brands were not asking themselves in the first half of the year because everyone just wanted to get in and, and you know, be there and make the headlines. And then as the, the hype cooled down, um, as it always does, brands start to think, okay, but what are we actually getting out of it? And so um, now they are looking at, you know, the same KPIs that drive success in the rest of their business, which is what they should do. They shouldn't, they shouldn't assess the metaverse differently, right? The metaverse should just be a new channel for them to sell better or to create more awareness. Whatever their goal is, the metaverse should, should, should serve that goal. And if it doesn't do a better job than TV or Facebook or any other channels, then brands shouldn't invest in it. So the metaverse needs to be better at at least something to, for, for, to justify that investment. Um, and when it comes to what part of the funnel, as we discussed, I think it, it can really be everything. It can be awareness, it can be consideration, it can be engagement, it can be purchase. And you know what we're doing at Landvold is building the tools like the analytics and the data pipelines that are needed to, to be able to send a report to a brand, a live, live dashboard showing them what is happening in their experience and how that drives tangible ROI. Nice. I, I want to do a quick pause, both gents, before we go to another audience question. We've talked a lot about B2C, right? As you know, this is customers selling products or brands selling products to customers or brands offering customer experience. But what about B2B? How are you guys seeing the, which typically there is a significant, if not larger amount of money and spend on B2B technology, on commerce automation, um, even B2G, but let's, let's start about this one. How much or how bullish are you guys on B2B applications for the metaverse? Diego, you've been quiet. Why don't you come on this one first and we'll give Sam some time to think. Yep. There you go. go there's, there's some pressure. Left field question. <laughs> no go, time to let's think. Go. Let's go. Uh, I think there are three interesting ways of looking into that space, right? One is training or, you know, internal onboarding or, uh, any sort of like non-consumer facing um, people operation exercise, type. people operation, yep. which you can enhance the quality of your customer services externally to consumers by improving the quality of your training or your sort of like internal processes, right? Like so that. I feel that the best way to read people or to get people up to speed within those new technologies is by putting that in front of your team internally first. And once they sort of like, uh, you know, mature throughout that process, then it becomes much easier to then uh, provide a better service. So for me, that's that's pillar one. And then you have pillar two, which pays into that, which is obviously, you know, customer experience. So how can you enhance the customer experience of any different type of, uh, you know, uh, product or service you offer uh, by utilizing and leaning against uh, those learnings and that development that you've now achieved within within that 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 sort of like new new way of engaging uh with those people right and then the third element of it i think that uh you know there is a huge opportunity when you start adding other set of technologies to the table for example uh you know iot and also uh you know internal production uh within factories and so on so imagine how we can then one, you know, be with AR glasses, for example, within a factory and get an expansion amount of data and information that you don't necessarily have access to because you are inside of a factory. Mm -hmm. Now just thrown upon uh, your eyes that can educate you to take better decisions, mm -hmm. right? And, and being when able you to think crowdsource about the support that you get while you're there from 500 engineers from around the world who might be freelancers, they might be, you know, part of a, you know, GIF GAF community led technical support model. That means you don't have to hold 10 or 20 engineers on staff. You can, you can pull those engineers, but you can have an immersive experience where they don't have to be on your oil rig, but they are providing one hour at a time's worth of support while somebody else is there. A hundred percent. And then the layer of IoT that I was mentioning before is when you start like making those communications also, right? So you can see the data flow, you can see, uh, you know, how that sort of like operation is happening within, for example, two machines when they are communicating or interacting with each other. And you add that layer of, uh, you know, 
metaverse, if you will, or AR per se, which is not necessarily the metaverse, but is a way of utilizing the technology and leaning against uh, the metaverse as a new as a new interface. I find those sort of like three stepper to be exciting, and within each of them, there is already a ginormous industry that can represent a lot of opportunity for 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 companies that can sort of like look into that early, right? It's a lot. And enterprise applications as a as a domain is trillions and trillions of dollars. Right. And here and here we're talking about, you know, customers buying land next to Snoop. Sam, your your clients, right, the MasterCards of the world, you know, who have hundreds of banks as their customers or might be interested in connecting out to other payments businesses, other financial services businesses, Heineken, which has a massive supply chain all the way around the world in you know, multiple different tiers. Is B2B on their radar? Do you get lots of inquiries relating to how can we work better with our with our business stakeholders? It's very nascent, um, but we do have that. Actually, not not Mastercard, but another financial service company that we're working with is um, is is wants to use the metaverse to build better relationship with their um, their merchants, their 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 mm-hmm, business, mm-hmm. business suppliers. Um, but it's still, I would say, still related to marketing and how they can work work together this way. I don't think the uh, the technology that we have right now would be in the metaverse would would provide a you know significant yeah supply chain advantage or or anything like that just yet so mm-hmm. i think it's it's still related to to marketing and how they can be seen as a as a you know more innovative company in the space nice i, I like that and again the the idea of having supply chain or b2b and decentralization at the same time is a really difficult one to conceive because if if you're replacing the the webex with a 3d xr training room that's not really necessarily making the most of the web three or the decentralized element of the metaverse you're just changing the place in which the training happens but if you make that a place where you can have trade commerce payments um identity crowdfunding where you create a genuine platform that's open where software engineers can build on top and help contribute to certain things and you've got an economy flowing around that and you've also got the extended reality you've got the collaboration spaces on top that that's a big sweet spot that's a huge opportunity but the intellectual horsepower required to create that or to imagine that that's possible and to then get the buy-in first and foremost from enterprises to flip their model to go to that space and open up that's a big shift right that takes that takes some that's not the low-hanging fruit in this space yeah, but I, right. I see a huge amount big of potential time. big time before we move anywhere from here there is something that we haven't done yet that we always do, and it won't be different this year. You know what it is, Anthony? Is it meme review? No, point oh, time. The <laughs> there we go. Get your phones out of your pocket. Cool. You stuck around for what? 50 minutes now. I'll get my one done too. And uh, here it is. Here it is. First pop of the year, fourth pop of the show. Yes. Maybe you take a couple more questions. We got eight minutes left. There's so, a lot of good questions. A lot of good questions. I wish we could really, just really explore the questions. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we told guys to come with with spicy questions today. Honestly, I mean, not. I, I, I expected more contentious questions. I, I want more aggro. I want more fume in the comments. I would like people to be telling us that we're wasting our time. Uh, actually... Let's find one of those. Let's find <laughs> one of those. There must be one hiding. Is Professor Bob the, hiding in the, the comments mix. somewhere, or did you block him? <laughs> No, go for it. Go for it. I'm going through a new experience with my pull-up app, which is exciting. So I'm just uh, tapping into numbers now to prove that I'm a human. I am a human. Okay, good stuff. I'm struggling to navigate here. So let me see if I can find... Um, hello, fam. Smiley face. Uh, I got one, if you don't. Why we wait and let people claim... Um, Sam, what are the top one or two reasons brands are interested in entering the metaverse? Yeah, there's there's basically two two big categories. Um, one is the brands who believe in it, like we do. That you know the metaverse is the next next phase of the internet. That within the next you know decade there will be billions of people, especially the younger generation that are native to this medium, will use it as we use the internet today and therefore they need to be there. So they see it as a, as an insurance to stay relevant in the future. And they want to experiment today to not be left behind tomorrow. That's category one. And then you also have all the brands that 
do not have that grand vision or are not quite sure that they're not quite sure that the metaverse you know is really that that big thing and to those we show them the metrics that i mentioned the 29 minutes mm. of engagement you know the, the higher conversion rates the um the the, the you know the, the awareness all the uh the even the pr that you get with, with by doing those like tangible metrics to hit your kpis today uh, and so with that you don't need to believe that the metaverse is anything but just another channel to 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 get better kpis so these are the two main you know reasons and the two main kind of ways that we're going to market yeah i'll build on that because you know if you want to give like two reasons why i'm seeing a lot of it as well in very simple words and and some of that sort of like conveying what you just said one is, uh, you know, expanding and finding new business model and, and sort of like expanding on their offering. Look at the fashion industry, right? Obviously, they've been selling fashion culture and all of that, but now they want to look into how they can expand that offering within the digital realm, right? So that's a new business model. Uh, and the second one is uh, reaching new demographics, right? So as we expect that whenever the, the tooling and the experience within the metaverse gets much better than what it is, hopefully will because we know it's very early and very bad especially comparing to what gaming experiences are uh we will have a huge migration uh and a, and a native migration or just a native expansion from people that have been playing games forever right which is a ginormous ginormous industry so that sort of like tapping in new de demographics is another very important element that i'm also seeing on my end what do you think, guys, we need to see happen to see the metaverse in the hands of more businesses and consumers? We've, we've had some sandbox and Decentraland and Roblox style launches that have maybe attracted the Web3-esque community, maybe attracted some early adopters in terms of innovators and builders. It's captured the imagination of some celebrities. There's been some, some interesting collabos. But for us to see more widestream, more mainstream, more regular usage, of metaverse platforms what do you think needs to happen to me it's simple it's just better content i mean it's funny to me that the the whole the way that you know the metaverse has grown is we, we're getting businesses first and then the audience is not quite there we expect them to bring the audience i mean that's not how it happened on any other platform right you normally have a consumer tool like Facebook, for example, how they started delivering some kind of value for consumers, lots of consumers come in and then brands are like, oh, maybe we could advertise there to reach those consumers. That's normally how things work. You don't attract, you don't attract the brands first because then it, people don't have a real reason to stay there. So we need the metaverse to have a, a value proposition for users, for consumers, for us to spend more time there. And that value proposition is driven by content, the content that we at Landvolt are building and is building and other uh, studios are building as well. So it really just comes down to that. Uh, to me, that's that's obvious. You know, the, I always say that the, the behavior of spending time in virtual worlds and spending money in virtual worlds, it's not something that the metaverse is creating. Gaming has created that. We have Gaming that has created that. We have 3 billion people playing games every day. People love to spend time in those environments if the game is fun, engaging, rewarding, and all this stuff. Currently, if you go to a metaverse experience, except the one we built, but the others, um, you know, it's 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 limited, right? Even we are limited by the tools that, that the platform give us, but it's uh, it's generally, a, you know, sometimes a 29 minute experience, but it's not something that you can stay and play for days at a time and you engage and you stay, it's more like a showcase. So we need the technology to be better and we need to build better, more engaging content that would drive users. And once you have the users, the business models will follow. So to me, it's a simple, uh, it's a simple theory. The, the making it happen is difficult, but what the, what the plan is, is actually quite straightforward. More content, more of the time, which means more and better content creators, more democratization of content generation and more entities, be they individuals, businesses, governments, whoever it could be desiring yep. to create content right it's a bit it's a bit of a flywheel effect right the more people on the platform the more people be interested to put content in the platform the more you bring other people etc right we got it. and i think the, the business Sorry. models you know Go is working on a small scale right so um when the experience is there monetizing it is is possible so we know that works we just need more better more and better content we got a hell of a question here as the, the last one. We got two minutes left, so let's just be mindful of that. But I love it. I never, I never thought about that sort of like scenario. 
So if you were a mayor of a city, what would be the first step steps to address the metaverse and use it to enhance the city and the way we live? Work and play? This Super good question. Fire, fire question. Harman, absolutely love this. And this, ironically, this is a conversation I was having yesterday with Rutger van Zaydam from, um, from the Odyssey, the Momentum Odyssey team. Um, and it's interesting because if you think of a city or a, you know, a, a physical space in the world, stuff happens there already today. And he's been doing a lot of work with municipalities in the Netherlands, with government organizations, with city organizations, very similar to, and maybe this is where this question has originated from. But he was saying, well, how do we use a virtual space to cover everything else? We already have a community. We already have a series of aligned and interested goals, but we don't always convene in the same physical space or we can create virtual spaces to cover all the other things that we need to have happen or that we would like to have happen that either we don't want to physically meet because it's inconvenient or because working in a virtual space allows us to do more, bring more people and not just the village to create content that exists in perpetuity, to vote anonymously, digitally, and have representation digitally by individuals who may choose to dox or not dox to contribute to the experience or to the future or to the governance of that. You know, think about Web3 as a governance tool, digital voting and DAOs. If you, if you apply some DAO capabilities and DAO concepts and tokenomics to the virtual village, what does that allow you to do that is more engaging, right? The, the, the challenge with a lot of cities is getting people's participation is, is hard because it involves them having to step away from their busy lives or to go and do something in a space where it may not be convenient for them or they have families and they can't spend the time. If you can curate that virtually, it opens the envelope a little bit. So huge, huge potential. In, in that area. And that's just that's just the half an hour I had with Hooker yesterday. So Sam, I'd love your take on this one though. Yeah, I mean as someone uh, saying in, in the chat, you know, this is this is happening in some places like Dubai, for example, who has made the metaverse uh, an extension in, in their case a more like a digital twin of of the city. Um, because they realize that not everyone can be there. You know, they have all these landmarks like Museum of the Future, for example, or the Coca-Cola arena. Um, which are great to experience if you're there, but what if you're not there? So you can basically still promote the, you know, the events. Um, effectively, it's, it's digital tourism that can now target, you know, millions and millions of people that live somewhere else and maybe incentivize them to actually come and visit. So um, I think, you know, if I were the mayor, that's I would follow a similar approach where I would try to bring, you know, promote my my city and what's best in the city through that that metaverse experience um, and also enable you know creator and, and jobs to actually take place in the virtual world as well imagine the npcs or like the real virtual physical digital twins that could be existing in like virtual dubai or you know maybe you can't afford the lambo in the real world but you can drive around dubai and flex with your virtual nft lambo in the in the metaverse version of, of dubai loads of potential on that one i love that Diego, how are we doing? We're, I think we're nearly coming up to time. We, right? we over time, I could build on that a lot. Uh, I maybe just give a last step so we, we, we wrap it. I think that, you know, especially for, for not necessarily a city, but, uh, you know, regions like where Dubai and Qatar and all those, those, those sort of like quote unquote new countries are in, uh, new, I mean, by infrastructure, um, it's so much easier for them to bypass the stuff that the US, Europe, or Latin America, or Africa can't because they have already the infrastructure in place, right? So the thing I love to think about that is imagine, you know, that uh, specifically in Asia, you know, the, the consumer sort of like bypass or, or leapfrog uh, desktops, right? Everybody's on the phone, everybody's natively to the phone, and they leapfrog the desktop as a technology. So because, you know, they got early to that sort of like, they got late that sort of revolution. So for, for countries like Dubai looking into this new realm of, of, of technology and not necessarily having a very rigid system behind them so far is a great opportunity to be an early mover, especially on the service that the country or the city can offer. Right, like who here enjoys going to a fucking office, sitting there for hours and getting a grumpy person shouting at you because you didn't sign the document in the right place? Like nobody, 
right? And that's the reality of these services, for example, in Europe or in Latin America or what I am from. So those countries have the advantage to very simply and initially already leapfrog or enhance those processes because they might not be as embedded in the political system or, you know, on the country system yet. So like that for me is already huge. We are going to disrupt angry office workers. If you're an angry office worker and you're listening in. Big market. (laughs) The future is not looking good for you. We love you, by the way. We love you, but but you're going to have to change. Exactly. Same, same valid to Jozo X. Friend, we love you. We're here for you. Guys, <laughs> let's go. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate you. Sam, big, thank big you love so much, for, guys, for making time and coming over. Anthony, always a pleasure. Can't wait to see who comes next because we ain't stopping. We're not. Damn. And at some point, we're going to do a show in the metaverse. We've got to make let's it go. look good. The Dude, production value's got to be high. Let's, let's make it happen. Let's do it. All right. Let's seriously look into it. Let's right, go. Something to work on. Cheers, my guys. All right. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Everyone. Thanks, audience. Bye. Thanks, everyone Bye. that was in the community. See you soon. Ciao, ciao.